This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Inside Story on BFM 89.9. Good evening. You are with Lee Chui Lin and Sharmila Ganesan. Tonight, the end of the global emergency status for COVID-19. So we're discussing how the pandemic has affected our lives and what it means to come out of the other end of a global emergency. And mostly, as always, we want to hear from you. How are you feeling about this? Uh, looking back, how did the pandemic change your life? Call 7733-2900, tweet us at BFM Radio and send us a voice note or WhatsApp at our U-Mobile number 018-789-8899. This is Inside Story. It is 6.08. So, last Friday, the WHO declared the end of the global emergency status, uh, basically for COVID-19, which is something that had been in place since January 30th, 2020. So, it's actually more than three years ago now. And uh, the WHO Director General, Tedros Adhanom, said that the end of the emergency did not mean that COVID was over as a global health threat, though. Yes. So, um, obviously... It does represent a shift in thinking in terms of how we uh, make accommodations for this. Uh, but according to WHO's data, the death rate has slowed from a peak of more than 100,000 people per week in January 2021 to just over 3,500 in the week of April 24th this year. Um, and this is because of widespread vaccination, as well as the availability of better treatments, um, as well as the level of population immunity from prior infections. Um, but I think perhaps more than a lot of these, um, getting the official announcement from the WHO also represents perhaps a, a sort of psychological endpoint to, as you said, something that's been going on for the better part of three years. I uh, am going to complicate matters a little bit by saying that, I, I can't remember when it was, uh, maybe at the start of the year, I, I remember saying that this year feels different to me. And, and I think that many people felt that way as well, that 2023 felt um, different from how from, from the previous cycles of, of what we'd seen because we are well away from that lockdown period um, and, and all the things that you just mentioned, Sharmila, vaccination rates being higher uh, and just that, you know, it felt like there was a freeing of sorts. I have, however, also read others who said that in some ways, this declaration, not this declaration specifically, but people acting as if COVID-19 is over, over, makes them feel lonely. Um, these are the people who are continuing to mask, who are continuing to have a, a fair amount of uh, worry, warranted worry over over not wanting to fall ill. And I think that it's interesting to have this conversation considering both those things, that there are people who are really ready to move on and really kind of saying, yeah, I know it's still serious, but I, I just, you know, it's over now. Um, and people who are saying everyone acting like it's over makes me feel a little bit crazy. No, I completely get it, right? Um, I've seen a lot of uh, health experts and commentators saying that this announcement by no means uh, indicates that COVID is not a concern. In fact, what it actually should mean is only that rather than thinking about it as a short term, it's weird to say short term when it's three years, but basically a short term thing that we are needing to handle, that what we need to do is to think about it as something we need to accommodate in our larger health policy decisions. And even how we live our lives um, in terms of do we need targeted information about when there are localized outbreaks and then should there be warnings for masking up. Um, and these are all conversations that, in fact, to be honest, have been happening uh, since the lockdowns. And I, I think part of the frustration, particularly for the, for the people that you mentioned, is that maybe there isn't that lack of clarity, right? What does this mean? What does this mean in terms of if I have comorbidities, if I am at risk? Um, what does it mean if I have people in my family who are? And that's a trickle down to a personal level because of course what it means um, globally 
is in some ways a lifting of so many restrictions, right? Or, or sort of a signalling from the World Health Organization that these restrictions are, are going to be lifted. If you think about what it's meant for these statuses to be lifted on a national level, in some cases, uh, for example, the US, it meant that vaccinations were no longer going to be provided for free. Uh, you know, so there are a variety of, of meanings to this idea of the lifting of the emergency status. But on a personal level, I think that it's it's a sense that you're almost being given permission to to move on and what you want to do with that I think is is entirely up to you but that's what it signals so we'd like to so let me just tell you what we're going to be doing today um we are of course talking about the WHO declaring the end of the global emergency status for COVID-19. We are asking you how you feel about this and looking back, how did the pandemic change your life? Uh, if you'd like to weigh in, we are waiting to hear from you. That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. 2900 That number to voice note or WhatsApp is 018-789-8899. You can also tweet us, of course, at BFM Radio. Uh, but throughout the show, we reached out to people from a variety of fields, basically you know, health, of course, tourism, um, business, just all these people who ha- who were so affected by this. And we're asking them in some ways the same personal question that we're asking you, which is how you're feeling about this. So you're going to be hearing from that variety of voices. And that's going to be our show this evening. Uh, we're already seeing messages come through. We'll return for them, um, as well as some of the, the thoughts that we've gotten from our guests this evening. So keep it here on Inside Story, BFM 89.9. Begin Fun Moments. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 6.15 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn and Sharmila. We're talking today about the end of the global emergency for COVID-19 because WHO has declared it thus after it was in place for more than three years. Uh, It first kicked in in January 30th. 2020. So we want to know, how do you feel about this? Uh, looking back, how did the pandemic change your life? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at PFM Radio. So as promised, um, we're going to be hearing from a variety of folks this evening and we are going to be starting off with someone who worked on the front lines because I think that that feels most appropriate. So a healthcare worker, uh, uh, and we reached out to Associate Professor Dr. Fahan Rusli, Public Health Medicine Specialist uh, at the International Islamic University of Malaysia and also the Director for the Selangor Task Force of COVID-19 Operation. Well, during the pandemic, um, to be honest with you, it was uh, extremely exhausting as we had to make sure that everything was uh, was in line, um, briefing through, talking about the MCOs and the movement restrictions. Um, it was taxing on everyone. Uh, for me, having to um, um, perform tasks uh, when everybody else was at home, um, along with other healthcare partners and also the um, security services, um, it really showed that uh, things need to be done in a much more a progressive manner. What I mean is um, preparedness will save us a lot um, down the line. And when we say about public health preparedness, um, we were not prepared. And the pandemic showed cracks that were already there in the first place. And what I want, um, what I feel now that it's technically not yet over, it's just that it's not being declared as a global health emergency. It's still with us. Um, With that declaration, um, our country should use all its resources and its expertise to ensure that we are prepared for the next pandemic, um, regardless what that may be or when that will be, uh, whether it will be in five years, in 15, in 50, it doesn't matter. Um, But it's likely that the next one will be um, closer to us more than what we can imagine. And that is what I really want. And that is what I feel is that um, we have to learn everything that we have gotten. We have to make sure that lessons, the lives lost should not be in vain. And all of this would have to come to mean something. And the country needs to be able to prepare itself, whatever it may come. I mean, we have always been a resilient nation and we will always, always be um, together regardless. 
That was Dr. Fahan Rusli uh, talking about the pandemic. Uh, because, of course, our entire show today is about the lifting of the emergency status, the global emergency status for COVID-19. So I think that he raises uh, a number of, or rather he summarises quite neatly, a, a number of points that medical specialists have been bringing up throughout the pandemic, really. So I was speaking to a really good friend of mine who was a frontline healthcare worker during the pandemic. And um, uh, it's weird, right? Because even for me, when I look back at photos that Zoom group photos that we took during the lockdowns, uh, there's this weird feeling of, was that really me? Did we really live like that for two years? But then to imagine that being compounded by so much more, because um my friend was talking about a lot of, you know, Dr. Farhan said exhausted the fact that you have to be out there testing and treating people. Um, it sounds to me like I can't even imagine that people have gone through these kinds of uh, experiences, um, that this is something that probably they're still very much trying to get over and work through psychologically. Um, and that fear of we may not be prepared the next time, is so significant. Well, you know, I, I was going to say that a part of that actually is the feeling that maybe people don't want to think about the next one. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, because it, it felt as if the last three years was such a challenge, it was so difficult. And so there is definitely a, a feeling of, well, can't we just enjoy this? And I think that um, sometimes hearing from people that, well, yeah, you can enjoy it, but you also need to think about what all of this has meant for our resilience. And, and I think that that's a really good point, um, albeit a very sobering one. Um, so if we look through the, the people that we've spoken to or reached out to, so health is one. As we know, um, tourism was so deeply, deeply affected by what happened. Um, the movement control order ended up restricting people out and in. Uh, and so we reached out to Naj Arifin, tourism consultant, as well as a heritage and gastronomy historian. Hello, BFM. This is Naj Arifin. And uh, in light of the World Health Organization saying that uh, COVID-19 is no longer a global emergency, I think we should take it positively. We should look at it with um, a, a positive mindset, with confidence and welcome this announcement because we need that confidence. We need that positive thinking to make the world move forward after the terrible pandemic that we went through and all the lockdowns and all the suffering. And um, uh, of course, we do need to take precautions. We need to have certain safeguards to ensure that uh, it doesn't uh, come again. But um, that confidence is very important to move forward. I give my own personal example in November 2021. I was struck by COVID-19, the Delta variant, the worst possible stage five. And I had to be intubated in ICU. I was uh, in ICU for eight days in hospital for nearly a month. But with positive thinking, with the confidence that I thought by the grace of Allah, inshallah, I will survive. And I did. And um, so, yes, I was lucky, but, um, and of course, there's an element of uh, what Muslims say, takdir, but that confidence is very important for us to move forward, and the world needs to move forward now, whilst, as I said, taking precautions and not just uh, being, uh, not just leaving it to the wind, but we have to move ahead. The world has to move ahead. Malaysia has to move ahead. Thank you. That was Naj Arifin, tourism consultant and heritage and gastronomy historian, sharing, um, I think, a pretty harrowing story, but also then adding on, in some ways, what we already heard from Dr. Farhan, which is the balancing between we're moving ahead as well as, well, we still need to be prepared. We still need to, to think about it. Yeah, and I think where it gets tricky for the average person is what does being prepared mean and um, what does that translate into in your day-to-day -day life, right? Like, for instance, um, when do you choose to mask and when do you not? Um, when do you choose not to attend a public gathering and when do you? And and I think that these can be different for different people. Um, I think sometimes where it gets daunting is when you feel like you don't have enough information. And what happens when you don't have enough information is a lot of this fake news and rumors and speculation start filling up the vacuum. Um, for me personally, I think sometimes I would like a little bit more clarity in terms of what's happening at like local levels, for instance. So we're talking today about the 
pandemic um, because the WHO last Friday declared the end of the global emergency status for COVID-19. And we want to know how you're feeling about this and looking back, how did the pandemic change your life? That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. You can send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. So we're already getting messages. Um, I, I wanted to talk about some of the masking ones. Uh, Eileen says, Last Friday, I was in 1U. About 70 to 80% of people were still wearing masks, which is quite impressive. I wasn't wearing one though. Um, so this is something I've actually heard a number of people who are visiting Malaysia or Malaysians who live elsewhere who have come back for holidays uh, pointing out that, wow, you guys in Malaysia are still very disciplined. Huh? Most people still wearing masks in public places. Um, but I was in Bangkok recently. And even then, of course, they recently had a, a spike in cases. Um, I was quite surprised to see most people wearing masks in public transport, for instance. So um, I do think that perhaps... Uh, impressive is good. Um, it is kind of heartening that most people, I think, want to be responsible, perhaps. I, I think that it's nice um, that the mask now, because it no longer has the element of it being completely mandatory in public places, more than ever, when I see people masking up in public, it does feel like a signal that they care about themselves and others. Um, because mm -hmm. before this, there was an element of shaming to it, right? In which if you didn't wear a mask when you were supposed to wear a mask, uh, it did feel like, oh, I'm being forced into this. But now it's it's kind of different. Um, so Shamil, for example, says, I must say I am still paranoid even until today. Even a simple sniffle would make me worry. I am still wearing masks out of this worry. I no longer enjoy traveling as much as I used to back then. That's a pity, Shamil. Um, I do get why you might feel that way, though. Um, I felt very anxious the first time I, I travelled outside of Malaysia post-lockdown. Um, I, I Also, the, the whole, these days, every small symptom starts making you worried that it might be something more than just mm. a simple cold. Uh, but I do think that the positive side of it is that I'm a lot more aware. I don't attend parties if I if I feel that I may not be well. Um, the office gives us accommodations to be able to work from home if you're not sure if you might be positive. And I think perhaps some amount of vigilance is not the worst thing. Um, but yeah, as long as it doesn't sort of interfere with being able to take enjoyment in life, maybe. Yes, and the other thing is, um, the even a simple sniffle makes me worry. I, I would say that um, that's that point about vigilance. But the other thing is, it's, you know, countries like Japan and South Korea and, and China, I think, um, it was so the norm uh, anyway to mm. wear a mask if you're unwell. And again, it was out of care for others. And that so, was because of bird flu and SARS. So like as countries that were most impacted by these previous issues, um, they've kind of gotten used to this idea of self-care and caring for the society. Exactly. So this, I, I would like to say, is here to stay because I think it's a good thing um, on balance. Uh, meanwhile, Siemens has... Siemens has a series of questions, um, a lot of which I don't think we, we will have concrete answers to. So um, they say, I wonder with this declaration, would employers still recognise COVID for reasons of sick leave? Do we still need to isolate if we are sick? Also, the government's update on masking mandates for public transportation and hospitals are unclear. Will people view the global lockdowns as an overreaction? Will people be less compliant with future lockdowns for the next more deadly pandemic? So um, Siemens, all I can say is where... All I can say is my personal opinion, right? Um, right now, okay, I'm going to start with the facts. Right now, if you are positive, you test positive for COVID-19, you still have to isolate for seven days. That hasn't changed. That is the policy and it hasn't actually shifted. Um, and we weren't in a state of emergency anyway. So that wasn't something that was in response to the state of emergency. That was just something we were doing. So if that's the case, I don't see how your employers can't recognize that because that's what you're supposed to do. Um, the update, the masking mandates for public transportation and hospitals also continue to be in place. So the answer is yes, you do still need to mask up in public transportations and hospitals. Um, I don't think people will necessarily view the global lockdowns as an overreaction. What do you think, Sharmila? Uh, no, I mean... I think at any given point, we can only make decisions based on the information we have in the present, right? Um, and I think as the WHO uh, statement also makes clear, the reason we can say this isn't 
necessarily an emergency now is because we've been through that journey of the lockdowns, of the vaccination programs, of the public information programs. And if we didn't do those, um, I'm not sure that we would be where we are today. So, and then to the last question, will people be less compliant with future lockdowns? I, I would love to hear back from you, Siemens, as to why you think that that would be the, the reaction. Because actually, I think it's more likely that people saw that in the end, while it was painful, it did save lives. I think what the pandemic has done, um, I agree with you, Lynn, firstly, but I think what the pandemic perhaps has done is made it a little bit clearer, the fault lines when it comes to um, how information is communicated, how people might react to these kinds of um, necessary sacrifices. And, and you know, these are things that even I'm trying to understand, uh, the whole divide between to vaccinate or not, to mask up or not. Um, we may not have fully understood it yet, but I think at least it gives us something to remember and learn from for future. Keep those thoughts coming. We're talking about the declaration by the WHO of the end of the global emergency status for COVID-19. We're asking you, how do you feel about this? Uh, looking back, how did the pandemic change your life? That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Behind Famous Men BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 6.38 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn and Sharmila. And today we are talking, um, probably for the last time in such an intensive way actually, about the pandemic. And this is because the WHO has declared the end to the global emergency status for COVID-19 as of last Friday. And uh, we wanted to know how do you feel about this? Looking back, how did the pandemic change your life? That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. You can send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. So we're going to be hearing uh, throughout our show today from people of different specialisations, different areas who were deeply affected by the pandemic. Uh, we also have lots of messages continuing to come in. Before we get to the messages, though, let's hear from uh, people in Johor because so... Um, I think for those of us in the Klang Valley, this might have felt perhaps uh, a little bit more distant. But of course, for people around the causeway, when the movement control order kicked in, it was a huge thing. Um, you had people who were unable to go to work. You had people in Singapore who were unable to come home. You had the halting of uh, a you know, long business relationships that had been going on for, for ages. And so we reached out to people in Johor. Let's start off with um let's start off with this voice note from Eddie Suresh Kuma. Hi, I'm Eddie, the Johor State Director of the UN Global Compact Network Malaysia and Brunei or UNGC MYB. When we look back the COVID-19 pandemic and the border closure with Singapore had a significant impact on the lives and livelihood of many Johorians. It disrupted supply chains, reduced job opportunities and caused businesses to close down. Many people who used to work in Singapore lost their jobs and struggled to find employment. The pandemic had resulted in economic hardships for families and communities. As we move into the next phase of recovery, it is essential that businesses prioritize sustainability in their recovery efforts. The pandemic has highlighted the interdependence between human health and the health of the planet, and businesses have a critical role to play in building a more sustainable and resilient future. A sustainable recovery will not only benefit the environment, but also create new opportunities for growth and innovation for businesses in Johor. Johor must recover better with sustainability in mind. It is not something that is nice to have, but it is a must-have for Johor. So that was Eddie Suresh Kumar, Johor State Director of the UN Global Compact Network. Also in Johor uh, is Peggy Lo, the author of My Johor Stories. On March 18 in 2020, the borders closed and Johor Bahru the city that's linked to Singapore by the causeway that used to be chock full of cars and people suddenly became a silent city. And we had 
empty malls and empty streets and Johor Bahru became a silent city. At that time, I was working on the manuscript for book three of My Johor Stories. With the uncertainties in the health emergency, it was really frightening for me. Also because of the unknown, and we didn't know how infectious the virus was. And because I was also the primary carer of our mother, who was 90 years old. The lockdown and the travel limit of 10 km distance also the advice to stay home, to stay safe. It all kept me at home for my own safety and that of my family. And then I had to move to online work for interviews and using the email to exchange notes with the subjects that I was interviewing to feature in my book. And the use of technology helped me to prepare my manuscript. I actually made good use of the time to do more research and to flesh out my stories. And now, with the support of MPH Publishing KL, Book 3 was published and launched in December 2022. My Johor Stories 3, Proudly Johor, Then and Now. The reopening of the causeway and the economy saw life coming back to Johor Bahru. And now the traffic is back to the pre-COVID times and the Heritage Quarter is attracting visitors again. In the first four months of this year, I completed a project called My Johor Stories in downtown JB, where I personally conducted heritage walks and a book reading sessions with the public. I'm happy to have done my part to bring back interest to the heritage attractions in downtown JB. Thank you. That was Peggy Lo, the author of My Johor Stories, talking about uh, her experience in Johor during the pandemic. And uh, we have a focus on our southern state because of, of course, that relationship that was present or is present with the causeway with Singapore. I'm also thinking about um, all those stories we kept hearing, right? About families being separated. Um, for years. For, for like years. Year, yeah. yeah. Uh, people losing their jobs or needing to make that decision between do I stay where I work, in, in many cases Singapore, um, and then not see my family or loved ones for the foreseeable future because nobody knew how long the lockdowns were going to be. Um, no, and, and again, like I think looking back, remembering those times, um, and, and we reported on it. So I think in some ways, at least it feels a little bit immediate. Um, it does feel weirdly dystopian um, in a way that looking back, I, I I remember that picture of the causeway being just deserted. That's what I was saying. Um, I yeah. remember both the causeway being deserted and the causeway being packed as people were trying to make it back on time. Oh, yes. So, yes. Before um, the lockdown. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And and looking back now, I'm just, it's, um, I don't know, it's amazing how adaptable we, we are or were because that was actually so extraordinary, so different to how things have traditionally been. Uh, we also received a voice note. So by the way, we are asking you, um, how are you feeling about the fact that the WHO has declared an end to the global emergency for COVID-19? So we are officially in the, whether you like it or not, the world is moving on stage. And, you know, how are you feeling about that? Um Looking back, how did the pandemic change your life? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, and tweet us at BFM Radio. Here's a voice note from Miss Go. I must say that nowadays the wind is changing its direction. Those who are vigilant are being shamed. I mean, just now you guys were talking about shaming. You say. She, you feel sorry for Shamil, you feel shame for Shamil because of he he's still feeling paranoid and all those things. I am still very cautious, very, very cautious. My dad passed away because of COVID two months ago. He is strong, he has the normal 
uh, what do you call that, the high blood and all those things. But things still happen, you know. Death still happens. And uh, it's not wrong to be paranoid. It is my choice. It is our Be choice. So I hope that uh, people are, you know, if you guys don't like being shamed off or not masking previously, I think people shouldn't, you know, start shaming on people who are still paranoid. That was Miss Go. Uh, firstly, thank you for sending that in and uh, our condolences um, about your father. I-, I think that I'm not sure if you caught the early part of our show where we discussed exactly that, um, that there is a sense that for people like you who are still being, and I wouldn't say paranoid because paranoid implies that there's something unusual or that that you're being paranoid about something that isn't there. So I actually wouldn't even say you're being paranoid. I think you're being careful. And um, we started off our show today by talking about the people who are choosing to remain careful and how there is a feeling of isolation in that, how some people who are continuing to mask up, who are continuing to not want to attend parties indoors are saying that they feel as if people don't understand them. So it's certainly a facet of the conversation that that we're invested in. And and I I really don't think that it would be right to shame people for those choices. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, actually, Ms. Go, I just wanted to clarify that if you thought what I meant was that I felt sorry for Shamil uh, for being careful, what I meant was that I feel bad and I feel sorry that he feels that it I feel that the shame isn't something he needs to feel. Um, being careful is not something to apologize for. Um, and only that um, I think exactly what you're saying, right, that it It shouldn't be that people's personal choices, because of very real concerns, um, are made to are made made out to be like they're not important. So I I agree with you, Um, and in fact, I do hope that. I do hope that more people, because uh, I've heard very callous remarks, oh, come on, it's just a party. Why don't you want to attend? Or, oh, what's the big deal? It's not like a mask is going to change anything. Um, I think it's very flippant and, and fairly insensitive to say those things to people. Uh, so we also have actually this remark that came in from an anonymous listener who says, masking means impact to the environment. How do we balance good health practice versus implications to the environment? This is something that's that has been uh, in the I know a point of discussion from the very like from the start of when we started masking up, right? Um, in that people have been pointing out how masks have become an increasing concern when it comes to disposal, um, and that we should be thinking of what to do. Um, I would hope that this is something that companies and organizations are putting measures towards. I haven't really heard of anything too much in that regard yet. Keep those thoughts coming. We're asking you how you feel about the WHO declaring the end of the global emergency status for COVID-19. So how you feel? Uh, looking back, how did the pandemic change your life? What did you learn from it? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Behold Freedom, Malaysia, BFM. The Business Station. It's 6.50 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn and Sharmila. Our show today is, uh, like I said, possibly for the last time in such a big way over the course of an hour plus about the pandemic. Um, We are talking about it because of the WHO declaring the end of the global emergency status for COVID-19. And we're asking you how you feel about this. Uh, How did the pandemic change your life? If you'd like to share, that number to call is 7733-2900. Send a voice note or WhatsApp 01. 18789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. So what have we covered so far, right? Um, aside from hearing from people, we've also been uh, playing you voice notes that we received from guests uh, that we've had on a, you know, kind of representing their specific areas of expertise. So we've heard from people in health, people in travel, uh, people in Johor. <laughs> and up next, um, we've got, I think, a, a really large area that was 
severely affected by COVID-19 and by having to stay home. And that, of course, is education. So we reached out to Samuel Isaiah, who is the Program Director for Pemimpin GSL, a not-for-profit organisation that strengthens leadership in schools across Malaysia. Well, as we all know, the uh, COVID-19 pandemic has significantly affected education, not just in Malaysia, but globally as well. I think we saw teachers going from teaching in person, going online. Everybody became a Zoom expert overnight. You know, technology became a huge driving force behind uh, everything that was done in school. So I think that was a silver lining, if I can put it that way. So I think some of the impact that we can see is that the... um, uh, governments and the Ministry of Education, can we look again at some of the policies that were implemented during COVID-19, some of the restrictions that were put in schools to actually curb the virus. I think a lot of these things can be lifted again. So I think this is something that a lot of schools welcome so that we can uh, further put more effort in providing quality education for everyone, every child in Malaysia. Overall, I think the WHO declaration is a positive step uh, in our fight against COVID-19. It's been too long, right? But I think it's unlikely to have an immediate and significant impact on the education sector. But I think what it does, it it makes everybody's well-being so much better. It brings back the joy instead of uh, how school is associated with fear, fear of the virus. So I guess, yeah, happiness. Happiness is extremely important when it comes to school. So, yeah. That was Samuel Isaiah, the Program Director for Pemimpin GSL. Can we focus on the happiness bit? Because I think that that is... I I remember having endless conversations about how schools were affected during the pandemic and there were so many things to discuss. Uh, Tech, which uh, Samuel's talking about, the, the ways in which teachers had to adapt, the ways in which students had to adapt learning from home. But one thing that came up over and over again was the fact that kids weren't meeting and playing. They didn't have break time. They didn't have the ability to just talk in class or throw paper planes and, you know, just do all all that kid stuff that you get to do when you're actually present. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm paraphrasing Samuel a little bit, but the part where he said school became associated with the fear of the virus, that's actually a deeply sad thing to think about, especially if you consider that for a child, Two and a half years of their life can be a significant chunk. Um, It can form core memories and core relationships and friendships. Um, And so, yeah, I I love the point that he makes about how um, more than perhaps thinking about what we would be doing differently in the future or how things have changed and the tech and all of that is perhaps true. but this, this immediate uh, ability to once again be with your friends in school, to take joy in learning, I think is such an important point. You remember everybody talking about uh, pandemic babies? In other words, the, the kids who were born uh, around or in the pandemic mm-hmm. and therefore who were just utterly freaked out by having to meet people other than the people they knew in their household? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, pandemic babies. Um, I also remember those uh, conversations and articles about uh kids who graduated uh, or rather went to college after secondary school and spent the entirety of their college education doing Zoom classes and therefore uh, didn't really get to do the college friend experience. And so there's so many things about the soft things about education, which I think um, was significantly different. So we are asking you, how are you feeling about the end of uh, the declaration that COVID-19 is a global health emergency? How does that make you feel? Um, looking back, what did the pandemic do to you? How did it change your life? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, and tweet us at BFM Radio. So um, to the messages, we have Anwar saying. We should move ahead but never forget. We should learn and not take it for granted. But some things like Zoom meetings, I wish did not become the norm. Oh, interesting, Anwar. Um, you know, for all that, for all that during the the lockdowns and the pandemic, there was all this talk about we don't need to do international conferences anymore. Everyone can meet online. Everything is going to happen um, remotely. I do feel that more and more people are moving back to wanting the in-person contact. And I think like most things, there is a middle ground to be had. The accessibility that people are now able to present talks online, that you can attend meetings online is great. Sustainability-wise, it's great because you cut down on air travel. Um, But I do think that uh, there is... 
I think if anything, we've emerged even more grateful for face-to-face experiences. It's the option, I think, that's nice. Yes. Um, yes. So if we go all the way to uh, the root of Anwar's point that maybe it shouldn't be the norm. So I agree, it shouldn't be the norm. Mm-hmm. But I think having the, the option, um, making it possible for people to participate online is a nice thing. Um, speaking of lessons, we also have Ralph who says, as individuals, we should be responsible for our health and mental fitness each day by boosting ourselves with daily exercise and better sleep. That's good advice at any point in time. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, I, I also think that this one was in, if I'm being real, during the pandemic, a double-edged sword. Because I think for as many people who had the time to exercise, to to cook their food, to live better lives uh, during the pandemic, there were equally many people who were so stressed that they couldn't sleep, who were restless, who didn't have the room to exercise, who couldn't go out to exercise. So I I think that um, I agree with you and I think that it's really good general advice. But it is, when I look back and think about how things were and how people were talking about these things, it was a mixed bag. I also think that um, the one thing the pandemic made clear for so many of us is that Sometimes, no matter how right you try and do everything, that there are things that are just beyond your control. Um, And that was a difficult thing for many people to grasp, right? Because you can do all those things, you can mask up, you can try and stay at home. But there were people who still got sick anyway. Um, and that was that was scary, frankly. Uh, speaking of good general advice, Belinda says, just be grateful for everything. We're all blessed at this point after riding through three years of lockdown. Yeah, and and I sort of feel like, um, you know, that's something that I still think of a lot, Uh, especially when I, like I said, look back at photos and I sort of have this weird schism where I'm like, did we actually do that? Did we actually live like that? I don't think that we will ever fully recover our perception of time from the the three, not three years, really. I think it's closer to a year, a very intense year and a half and a general malaise of, if you look at the whole thing, about two years. Um, but it, it does feel for many people as if time stopped then and restarted later. And, you know, th- there are all sorts of people talking about their relationship with the pandemic and time. So, yeah, uh, let us know. How are you feeling about the declaration that COVID-19 is no longer a global health emergency? Um, does it make you feel free? Does it make you feel worried? Um, and looking back, how did the pandemic change your life? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Best for money. BFM 89.9. It is 7.08 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn and Sharmila. And as we have been doing uh, since 6 o'clock today, we are processing our feelings uh, now that the WHO (laughs) has declared the end of uh, the global emergency status for COVID-19. And we're asking you, how are you feeling about this? Uh, Looking back, how did the pandemic change your life? Or for that matter, has it not? You know, has it not changed it at all? Has everything just gone back to the way it was? Um, That number to call, 7733-2900. You can send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. So what we've been doing throughout the show is reaching out to people in fields that were especially affected by the pandemic and by the restrictions that the pandemic brought. And we're going to close off uh, now those voice notes, I think. So let's start off with this from Jun Tan, who is the producer at Five Arts Centre, as well as a representative of Reformatsi. Um, It's great that COVID-19 is no longer seen as a global health problem. The announcement does actually bring us back to that time during the pandemic and how it affected the art sector. The vulnerabilities in the sector was very, became very clear during that very tough time. Um, And we find that actually those vulnerabilities, those issues still remain, which is there's lack of arts education. There's hardly any arts education in schools. Um, There is very inconsistent funding and support from the government. This year's budget shows that very clearly. There is very little audience development. There's very little support for arts artists and arts organizations. 
um, and there is lack of registry of artists in this country. So <laughs> the issues are actually still there, even though COVID-19 as a problem has gone away, but the problems in the arts still remain, unfortunately. Um, and we do hope really that the government can engage with the sector to finally resolve all these issues, kind of like at least get itself on its path, um, on the right path uh, once and for all. Yeah, thanks. So we were, uh, that was Jun Tan, a producer at Five Arts Centre and Reformatsi, talking about the impact that COVID-19 had on the art scene and how in some ways there's still a, a long period to go. So listening to Jun uh, just made me actually think about how uh, in so many ways the pandemic didn't necessarily create new problems, but instead laid bare and exacerbated existing things that we've already dropped the ball on, right? Like there's so many, uh, whether it's about internet or digital connectivity in uh, rural areas, whether it's about the arts perpetually not having been given enough attention, the fact that freelancers or people working in the creative industries often work job to job, don't have a lot of social security. Um, these are all problems that existed before the pandemic. It took the pandemic for it to become so severe that we needed to kind of pay urgent attention. And and I hope, I hope that we've learned lessons from that. Yeah, but I, I guess the thing about it is we started off our show today by hearing from a healthcare representative and uh, he said, Dr. Fahan Rusli, said more or less this exact thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, about a very different industry. But nonetheless, the point being made was that we, you know, it was a great revealer. It, it was it just revealed existing cracks and issues. Mm -hmm. um, now, the question of how much that's going to be worked on or built on is is a really good one. And, and I don't know whether that's necessarily the headspace. I'm not talking about the government. I just mean in general. I'm not sure that that's the headspace with which we're approaching, quote unquote, the new normal. And, you know, I think the thing is, I don't think a lot of this is on the average person. Of course, as a citizen, you can push for policy changes. It's something that we can do through our vote, through advocacy and all of that. But this is really something that I feel falls under policymakers. Um, and, and I don't know, I, I would like to see what that means, how uh, the pandemic has shaped the kind of policy we're going to see. We are, of course, a business station. Um, and so we did reach out to a business owner as well about this very issue. Um, here is Jeremy Theo, who's the co-founder of Urban Daybreak and Jeremy's Chicks. Oh, well, it's been three years. Looking back from the start of the pandemic, uh, where everyone was in a panic state, and then we had the recovery stages. Um, and then where we had the stage of the MCOs were lifted and then it was full on gas of people coming out. Well, now that it's over, it sometimes feels like it's a dream and I can't believe that we've been through all this. And also it feels really good uh, to actually welcome back travelers from around the world to our, to our humble home. And now that we're seeing more of them, uh, especially in Penang, uh, where we have a new outlet uh, since last July. And it really feels like the worst is over now. So let me share a story. Just last week, I was back to Penang and um, every year, uh, there's this one guy by the name of uh, Fernando from Spain. So he would come over to Penang to visit uh, some art exhibitions and uh, to take some photos. I mean, really great photos, okay? And uh, recently when I was back, you know, uh, I bumped into him into our new outlet. Uh, you know, it's it's such a good feeling to see someone after three years and um, and he, everything has changed so much. Even him, he has a beard now and, you know, and he was so happy to be in a new outlet. So, well, uh, let's put it this way that uh, we're all back uh, to normality and we are starting to see all the great things happening again. And um, we wish that uh, no more pandemic and nothing of this will happen again. That was Jeremy Theo, the co-founder of Urban Daybreak and Jeremy's Chicks, uh, sharing, I think, a very sweet story. Very sweet, um, very personal in so many ways. And I, and I think that it is, it is a reminder, right, that for so many business owners around the country, um, this sense of panic and this endless series of, well, three months and then two months and then we don't know when, we're not sure. Um, it must have been so, so difficult. 
So um, I'd like to close off with the voice notes that we we reached out for um, with a, I think, because Jeremy's message was so optimistic and I think our, our next voice note, I think, has a bit more ambivalence um, that in some ways reflects what we've also been hearing from, from you all. So here is Shaleen Chrisan, who is a clinical psychologist. So from the announcement from WHO, I do see that there are mixed feelings about this. Um, some people do feel a sense of relief and others do feel fearful. You know, and I think both feelings are very valid here. You know, for a few years, we've been sort of plagued by this sense of fear and anxiety about the pandemic. And it has greatly affected our lives in ways that we're still, you know, until today trying to understand. Which is why I completely understand why people have this sense of relief when WHO says it's over. People want to forget this and move on with their lives and be normal again. And this is actually a common symptom of trauma. You know, we want to go back to our lives before the trauma happened. But unfortunately, you know, it's not that simple. With every form of trauma, we cannot forget what has happened to us and the amount of harm, um, especially in this case, that the pandemic still causes us till today. So in my opinion, you know, a big organization like WHO that has a lot of power, you know, saying that the pandemic is over, is actually quite dangerous because COVID is still very much around and it is still affecting people's health. We're still experiencing uh, the new wave of COVID right now. And saying that it's over will make some people more relaxed when it comes to their health precautions and in turn can endanger other people, especially those that are more vulnerable, like people who are immunocompromised, which is the group that you know expresses a lot of fear now that uh, WHO has given that announcement. And don't be wrong, you know, this group is actually really big. We all tend to think that the vulnerable group are small, but it's not. So even if it feels really good to hear that it's over, it does not mean that it is. And we still have a responsibility to take care of people around us, especially the more vulnerable communities. That was Shaleen Chrisan, clinical psychologist. And I wanted to close off um, with this voice note, at least on the side of things, because I think it really expresses um, the, the complexity that we continue to feel. Because I think all of us know, right? And if we don't know, then I, I'm saying that perhaps you ought to know um, that the virus is still around. You still hear people getting sick. You know of people who uh, fall ill for a week. Sometimes it's more serious than that. Uh, we've heard even in this show about people who lost loved ones recently to the virus. So I think there is an objective knowledge that it's still around. Um, but then there is also exactly what Shalene is talking about, that feeling of, yeah, but it's done, right? It is, right? I can now do stuff. And I think really uh, the the mental gymnastics and the the sense of well, who gets to who gets to decide? Who gets to say what's right and what's wrong? Um, and you see this happening even within families. People have different goalposts in terms of what's okay and what's not. A lot of that, um, I think, are, are discussions that we're going to be having for a while. Yeah. Um, and and. Perhaps it's just part and parcel of this experience, um, but I agree that it, it isn't isn't sort of a blanket cause for celebration at all. And I don't think that's how I felt when I read the headline either. Instead, it was a little bit of a, huh, I see. So they're saying the emergency is over, but what does that mean in reality? And that's what we're asking you. How are you feeling about all of it? And looking back, how did the pandemic change your life? You can call 7733-2900, send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Better Finance Management. BFM 89.9. It's 7.20, you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn and Sharmila and we are continuing or rather closing off conversation in which we've been asking you how do you feel about COVID-19 no longer being a global health emergency because the WHO has lifted that and looking back, how did the pandemic change your life? You can call 7733-2900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Our remaining messages are actually quite a sweet 
complete collection, um, running the gamut of different experiences. Before we get to them, though, Sharmila, you and I didn't talk about this. Do you think that your your life was changed by the pandemic? Has it shifted you? Um, absolutely. I will say, I will, I will preface this by saying I've been very lucky. Um, a lot of the more extreme challenges of the pandemic Certainly, I was cushioned from them, uh, but I think I've emerged a little bit less social, and but also a little bit more aware of my own uh, social meter. For for example, um, certainly the fact that we now get to work from home sometimes has been a great change, which I appreciate a lot. Um, I think I've just in general become a lot more appreciative of the time that I get, both for myself and for the other people in my life, and and. I don't know. I, I suppose that's a little bit more of like an emotional challenge uh, than than it is anything significantly uh, financial or physical. And for that, I'm actually extremely grateful. I don't know whether anybody could have come out of this not having at least changed a little bit. So I, I guess I'm asking because of that re- uh, emotional resiliency bounce back, right? Because you might have been changed during. Um, the question of how much that has stuck around after is quite another mm. thing. So um, I, I, I echo a lot of what you're saying. I think for me also, and this is a bit of a uh, I worry it will sound light or flippant I don't mean it that way I think hobbies are so important Oh, that's not flippant at all. I mean, I think hobbies kept people going during the the, the couple of years that they had to spend so much time at home. Yeah, because I picked up um, a hobby while uh, during the pandemic and it's become so central to my life and such a grounding practice. And I don't think I would have done it if I hadn't had the time, frankly, um, to, to become good at it, uh, to, to learn something and to know that, well, I have the time to learn something because what else am I doing? And um, the, the recognition of that... The fact that I feel no need to monetize it, all of that makes me feel like I've got a little corner of my life carved out um, away from the rat race, which is something that this message from Munif um, is also reflecting on. So Munif says, I don't wish for another pandemic, obviously, but I do wonder when will a great reset that provides a healthy break from this droning, soul-sapping, mundane work-life routine will ever come again? Probably never. And the thought saddens me, honestly. This is how COVID has affected me. It gave me a taste of freedom I was never, ever going to own. Back to enduring we go. Mm, um, I I suspect people feel the way you do, Munif. And I think that it also reflects the difference between how uh, people who work for others feel and how people who are in the position of hiring others might feel. Because, um, of course... For companies, yeah, they're, they're, you know, you hear people offering work from home, a bit more flexibility. But it doesn't mean necessarily that they wanted the system to to break or go away. No, and I think um, I do, I do, I will admit, miss that I got to spend a week at home, uh, every uh, two weeks at home every month back during the peak of the lockdowns. It, it gave me a lot of mental space. But then I think back to how I didn't get to see some of my friends from work for years, and and I and I cannot. I don't think I would trade that though. Uh, we also have Palin saying, "Well, I'm relieved, but I'm waiting for the next pandemic. I hope it won't be soon. But humans just never seem to learn." This is something um, that reminded me of what our guest uh, earlier said, um, Eddie, I believe, about how we need to learn lessons about how um, the way we treat the planet has a direct impact on us. Uh, and we've also got Chris bringing up a solid point. One thing I learned, be vigilant of the news that aunties send you. <laughs> Always check with reliable news portals. Have good critical thinking. Chris, only will say not just aunties, uncles, also equally responsible. Uh, yes, 100%. And I think like many other learnings from the pandemic, good life advice. This this applies in general. I don't think you need a pandemic <laughs> to, to necessarily <laughs> adhere to this. Uh, okay, in closing... I was very excited when this message came through. Uh, Fadzli says, One thing I did during the pandemic was educating people about sumo through sharing matches and doing Instagram stories about the various histories and cultural aspects of the sport. People were so starved for entertainment that they tuned in and some got into it too. I'm too busy to do it now that normality is resumed, but it's nice to think that some people emerge from the pandemic with a deeper appreciation for this ancient sport. Fadzli, I love that. Um, I love that you have such an offbeat interest um, and that you manage to kind of create a little collective. Um, I hope you have eventually a bit more time to dedicate to this, though. Um, I think it sounds really cool. Fatsli, what is your Instagram? I, I ask because <laughs> I 
stumbled onto a sumo match uh, while while flipping through channels during the pandemic and I was entranced. I think I sat in front of the TV for like two hours um, watching sumo. It's amazing and I did want to learn more and I read about it but then subsequently I, I just couldn't figure out the timings and so that was like my one and only sumo match experience. But Shamila, have you never? It's amazing. Well, I mean, I haven't seen Fudsley's, but I've watched I've watched videos of other sumo matches. I can't say that I've been so fascinated that I sat for an hour, but I can certainly see the appeal. Um, I also think that um, this just reminds me of how during the pandemic, so many of us, as Fudsley said, were starved for entertainment yeah, and yeah. then stumbled across things that you never thought you would appreciate or enjoy, but then realized you had a deep passion for. It's the pageantry. It's the pageantry <laughs> that really got to me. I was so fascinated. Fudsley? Let us know. Get back to us. Uh, all right. And that is it for tonight's inside story um, in which we have been talking about, well, um, COVID-19 being no longer a global emergency. Keep those thoughts coming. BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app. 